This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio. Welcome to Leadership in Action on SiriusXM Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Ann Greenhall, Deputy Executive Director of the Ann and John McNulty Leadership Program here at Wharton, and I am delighted to be accompanied today by my dear colleague, Mike Hussein. Our third host, Jeff Klein, is out this week. So, Mike, how are you today? Uh, Ann, I'm doing great, and I'm sure the same thing must be true of you since it's a spectacular day here on the East Coast of the U.S., It is. It's a beautiful day, Mike, and we have a really wonderful guest who's going to join us just shortly. But before we do, Mike, we usually like to start with a little bit of a warm up. So I've got a question for you. You know, this entire pandemic has given us a chance to reset, you know, just personally and professionally. So, for example, I was speaking to a colleague of ours yesterday, Tom Parsons from the vet school, and he is he is a globetrotter, a world traveler. But, you know, the, the pandemic kept him at home, and he found that there was much that he appreciated about that opportunity to reconnect with his wife and his children and his work. And he's resetting and rethinking how much globetrotting he does moving forward. So, Mike, if we expand out a little bit, um, do you see that businesses have had a chance to reset and rethink? And if so, in what way? And it's a great question because I think the quick answer is yes, just about everybody is rethinking what we're doing and why we're doing it. And I think it's a, it's a great opportunity actually to st- take a step back and re-examine our, our habits, our patterns. For example, I actually think boards of directors and boards of trustees are going to rethink the necessity of coming, say, five or six times a year. And I'm sure our our guest today has uh, had this much on mind as well, Uh, especially if it's, let's make it San Francisco, if you're coming from the East Coast for a a five to maybe eight hour meeting. And there are downsides that we have learned about uh, in in going on the new media. But having uh, said that, I think it's a great time to literally step back rethink what what have we learned uh, to improve the way we operate uh, that has an impact both on business and and our personal lives. So, Anne, what do you think? Yeah, I agree, Mike, and I so appreciate that point. And you give me the opportunity to bring on our guest, and he is Hubert Jolie. Hubert, welcome to Leadership in Action. Well, thank you for having me. I so look forward to our conversation, Anne and Mike. Oh, well, thank you. Let me say a little bit about you. You were the former CEO of Best Buy, and you were the author of a brand new book released, I believe, on May 4th, The Heart of Business, Leadership Principles for the Next Era of Capitalism. So, Hubert, you have served in leadership roles, and I'm just curious, what prompted you to write your book? Um, I feel that our world is facing a multifaceted crisis, right? Mm -hmm. There is a health crisis, of course, economic crisis, but more deeply, a societal crisis, a racial uh, crisis, uh, environmental crisis, 
geopolitical crisis. I don't know how long I can continue, but we have a few of those. And what's the definition of madness, right? Doing the same thing and hoping for a different outcome. And uh, what I've learned uh, during my years leading companies and in particular leading Best Buy during the delightfully surprising, you know, comeback, uh, turnaround and resurgence of Best Buy is that there is a better formula for business than the Milton Friedman, you know, shareholder primacy formula and the, I would say, Bob McNamara scientific top-down management approach that um, I think we all learned, it's only I learned, you know, uh, last century. And, and that formula is, is simple to articulate, right? It's four things. It's the idea that uh, business, at the heart of business, it's about pursuing a noble purpose, putting people at the center. People are not the problem. They're the source. They're the engine. They're the soul. And our job as leaders in many ways is to find a way to unleash human magic. Mm -hmm. uh, third element of the formula, it's we, of course, we have to embrace today all stakeholders in a way that's congruent. It's not about trade-offs. It's about embracing all stakeholders in some kind of declaration of interdependence mm -hmm. and really trading profits as an outcome, not the goal, as an outcome, not the goal. Even though shareholders are really important, you know, we can do great things for them by focusing on these uh, other things. And my sense is that uh, today, certainly, you know, following the reset that uh, you, you guys were talking about, um, most people now believe that. And so we are all travelers uh, on that journey in that direction of you know, wanting to lead from a place of purpose and with humanity. But I think it's we're early on in that new era. And I felt that um, even though I don't have a corner on wisdom on that, over the years, I've learned quite a bit. And so what I wanted to do is share you know, not only the wisdom, but also all of the practicality um, of doing that uh, really leading from a place of purpose, unleashing human magic, embracing all stakeholders. And what was exciting for me is that uh, because of the success of the Best Buy turnaround, we had our share price went from $11 uh, at the low in 2012 to now close to 120. Uh, that gives me some credibility. You know, people can still ask, you know, what have I been smoking? <laughs> but, you know, there's some credibility. So I'm excited to add my voice and my energy to what I think is necessary and urgent, which is this refoundation of business and capitalism around uh, around purpose and humanity. Hubert, mm. I appreciate your reply. And let me also add that not only are you the former CEO of Best Buy, but that you have been recognized as one of the top 100 CEOs in the world by the Harvard Business Review, one of the top 30 CEOs in the world by Barron's and one of the top 10 CEOs by in the US by Glassdoor. So, you know, your, your reputation is really quite um, sterling, if I may say, in this regard. You mentioned the turnaround, and I'd like to ask you about that. And, and I ask you, because I'm going to segue to Mike in just a minute, he's been leading a course about leading in a time of crisis. So let's talk a little bit about the turnaround of Best Buy. Yeah, so we have to rewind back to uh, 2012. If we all remember, uh, at the time, everybody thought we were gonna die. There was zero buy recommendations on the stock. I think the market cap was like 
two times EBITDA. <laughs> so, uh, so before taking the job, I had to, so I, I took the time to uh, assess whether there was a, a possibility of a turnaround. And I actually concluded that the world needed Best Buy, right? As customers, for some of our purchases, we need a place where to see, touch, and feel the products and, and uh, uh, ask questions. So the customers needed Best Buy. The vendors also needed Best Buy, right? Because if you spend billions of dollars on R&D to develop a brand new, exciting product, you need a place where to showcase the, the product. And online is great. You know, don't make, I think that Best Buy now online is 45% of revenue. But if you want to showcase picture quality of a new TV or the sound quality, the sound quality of a, an audio product, you need to have it in the real world. The, the issues that Best Buy had were self-inflicted. You know, prices were not competitive, quality of service had gone down, we were late online, things of that nature. The good news with self-inflicted problems, you can fix them because you inflicted them. So usually. Uh, now, the advice I was getting from some was cut, cut, cut. You know, your usual formula uh, about restructuring, right? A company, you know, close stores, fire people, company announced, you know, 10,000 layoffs, stock price goes up, right? It's, uh, it's sickening. So we did the opposite. We led a very human-centric turnaround with this conviction that people are not the problem, to paraphrase Ronald Reagan, people are the solution. You know? So uh, I studied uh, my first week on the job, I actually spent it in stores. I was, I drove uh, a few, you know, maybe 50 miles north of Minneapolis to a town called St. Cloud. Uh, uh, I think they should say St. Cloud, but, you know, for some reason, they right. say St. Cloud. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I spent the week working in the store and listening to the frontliners. And guess what? They had all of the answers, right? And, you know, and then, of course, it was, uh, we had to follow up on matching Amazon prices, investing in the site, uh, making sure we shipped as fast as Amazon, uh, and, and so on and so forth. And then, you know, instead of focusing on reducing headcount, our first priority, how do we grow the revenue? It's amazing what revenue growth can do. Uh, and <laughs> we, we actually got some help from the vendors because we, we started to do these stores within the stores, these partnership with all of the world's foremost tech companies, including Samsung and Apple and Microsoft, which was really helpful in our journey. And then as it relates to cost, so here's my conviction in the turnaround manual. Number one is grow revenue related to cost, go after non-salary expenses, mm -hmm. which is all of the elements of the cost structure that have nothing to do with people. And they're usually the bulk of the cost structure. So an example of this at Best Buy is we sell a lot of TVs. They're large, they're thin, they break. So at the time we would break about $200 million worth of TVs every year. And you know, if by working with the vendors on the packaging, the design or the supply chain, you can uh, reduce that, you know, you can save maybe hundred million dollars and that's good for, for everyone. And you really treat headcount reduction as a last resort. And then the last thing, you know, you can come up with grand strategies, but it's all, as we all know, it's all about making it happen. And the key role of leadership here is to create energy. In physics, we learned that uh, energy is a finite quantity. Uh, I see you, you know, smiling on the radio. It's not going to be apparent, but uh, clearly Anne and Mike are smiling. We are smiling. <laughs> as, as leaders, we can create energy. And so how do you create energy? It's by co-creating the plan as opposed to telling people what to do. 
It's about getting going. It's about celebrating early wins, talking about problems and then working them together and so forth. So these were some of the key elements of the first phase of our resurgence. We called it Renew Blue. And uh, it, you know, it stabilized the business and got us going in the right direction. Ah, well, Bear, a wonderful response. And let me hand the baton to Mike Yusin. But before I do, let me tell our listeners that this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 132. I'm Ann Greenhall. I'm with Mike Yusim, and together we are speaking with Hubert Jolie, former chairman and CEO of Best Buy and the author of a brand new book, The Heart of Business, Leadership Principles for the Next Era of Capitalism. Mike. Hubert, it's a real privilege to have you on our program, and I was smiling a minute ago in your reference to physics for two reasons. One is... <laughs> Physics is, uh, in some respects, it is a metaphor for life and we can draw principles from it. But you, in essence, have broken one of the cardinal principles of physics. And I Here say this X affirmatively in that uh, we know from I'm physics there's no such thing as a perpetual motion machine. But I think you've just said by going to the people and really focusing on our people-centric strategy, you were able to create a perpetual growth machine. So that's my comment. Here's my question to get us going. In, in my humble opinion, I think people listening to this program and people you've spoken with uh, and that we speak with learn more from dialogue with people like you who've had very significant leadership responsibilities um, and, and have applied them. So my question to get that, uh, that terrain going is, what do you think best prepared you to become CEO of Best Buy? your experience, your mentors, your coaches, your attitude, uh, maybe uh, even look you read. Th thank you for that question. And, and, and um, as a preamble, I, I want to emphasize that what we're talking about here, all of these principles, they're not just for CEOs, right? If I had just yeah. wanted to talk to CEOs, I would have gone to the business council, which I'm a member of, spoken with them for an hour and a half, and then it would be done. Uh, these principles really apply to every leader. And by the way, every one of us is a leader because at a minimum, we're leaders of our lives. And so to your question, uh, Mike, of course I could say, you know, I went to business school in France, I had an early career at McKinsey and all of this was you know, helpful to learn some skills, but that's not the most important thing. And I wanna talk about my, my journey as a leader. Uh, because I think that, you know, leadership comes from within, right? And last year during the lockdown, <laughs> one of the thoughts was, if you cannot go outside, go inside, right? Yes. And be self-reflective. <laughs> so uh, I want to go back 20 years ago. Uh, at that time, so I was in my early 40s. By many measures, you know, to quote David Brooks, I was at the top of my first mountain. <laughs> I'd been a partner at McKinsey and Company. Uh, I'd been the president of EDS in France. I was a, a member of the executive team of a large uh, multinational media and entertainment company, Vivendi Universal. So I was in many ways, you know, doing good, right, professionally. And yet at the top of that first mountain, I found emptiness. Hmm. There was no meaning, right? I had been driven to be successful but there was no meaning. So that led me, call this my midlife crisis, okay? <laughs> that happens. Uh, but I think that it's a, it's a moment to cherish yeah. because that led me 
to want to be self-reflective, uh, revisit my life, what gave me energy in my life, and try to discern my true calling in life. So I actually got help to do this. I, I did the spiritual exercises of Ignatius of Loyola, the, of course, the founder of the Jesuits. Uh, and there's many different ways you can go after this, but this was so helpful and that uh, really helped me get centered around wanting to make a positive difference in the world and moving away from the seduction of power, fame, glory, and money, right? <laughs> which is such a dangerous uh, thing. So that was a, a first thing. The second important milestone was uh, in 2009. Um, I started to work with an executive coach, Marshall Goldsmith, the, the father <laughs> of all executives yes. in, in the world. We love Marshall, right? Yes. But before that, if I had, uh, if some, if Jack or Mary would have told me that uh, they were working with a coach, I would have thought, "What's wrong with them? Are they in trouble? Are they going to be fired?" <laughs> you know? right. And and of course, Marshall invented the idea of helping successful leaders get better. Invented the concept of uh, feed forward, yeah. and and that was so helpful because he helped me. So he's written this book, right? What got you here won't get you there. Uh, and if you remember, everybody who's read that book, I think around page. 50, he's got a list of the 20 quirks of successful people. I had 13 out of the 20 quirks. <laughs> okay. Great job. There. One of them was wanting to be the smartest person in the room, wanting to have too much value. And, uh, and of course, you know, my parents gave me some, you know, good gray cells and that's fine. But that, I, it, uh, Marshall helped me realize that this is not what was needed. It was not the emphasis and I learned through him yeah. that my role as a leader is not to be the smartest person. There is not to come here and save the day. Although there's such circumstances, early days of Best Buy, when the ship is sinking, it's it's good to be, you know, decisive. Of course, you take input, but you need to make decisions. But more generally speaking, your role as a leader is to create an environment where others can blossom, which is a very different way of uh, of thinking. So. What prepared me to Best Buy was, yes, experience and expertise with turnarounds and, and what I had learned, but more importantly, a view of leadership that was uh, people-centric and, and purpose-focused uh, personally, and then, of course, connecting that hmm. to what the company is, is, is about. So, Iber, let me throw in one more question, and Anne, I think, is going to take us sure. to a station break in a few minutes. Uh, to paraphrase Marshall Goldsmith, uh, what got you there got you there to become chief executive. But then you learned, of course, that what got you there won't necessarily keep you there, nor is it what uh, the company Best Buy needed at the time. So what were one or two of your most important learnings in the first year as you took the helm that you didn't see coming in, but you discovered these were the actions or these were the strategies that you personally had to follow to effectively lead Best Buy, especially when you pointed out your stock price was way down, you were coming out of the global financial crisis and beyond. So anyway, the question is, what, what, what got you there that you didn't have when you arrived? The, um, I would say, I would highlight a couple of things. Um, I think it was in October, 2012. So shortly after I started, maybe six weeks, and um, of course, at Best Buy, the holiday season is critically important. Um, 
And so we always gather, uh, you know, all of the store GMs and, and you know, the, the field management to uh, discuss the uh, plan for holiday, right? How are we going to win holiday? That's what you talk about in retail. And that was my first opportunity to speak to all of the GMs and, and, and leaders. It was a, a, an experience I'll never forget, of course. Uh, and after, you know, I spoke and after the, uh, the session, people came to me. And what was very clear is that uh, what had impressed them was not what I said. I, and in fact, if you ask people, you know, today, how they remember me, it's not, you know, how smart I was or anything like this. It was the energy. It mm. was the hope. It was how I made them feel. And uh, one of the things I discovered, and Best Buy is a large organization that's close to $50 billion in revenue. It's more than 100,000 people. Uh, from a leadership standpoint, my biggest leverage point is how I create energy in people. And th that can be very simple stuff. It can be, you know, how uh, when we used to go to the office, right? How I walk uh, in the hallways or in the hub of the headquarter in, in Richfield, Minnesota. If I walk with the spring in my step and I say hello to everybody and I'm cheery and cheerful, in a genuine and authentic fashion, but I've decided, you know, then it's it's contagious. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and of course the leverage point, if you can create energy with 100,000 people, that's enormous, you know, it's more than anything you could do yeah. personally. The other thing is that, uh, and again, it's it's creating this, uh, it, it's this contagion. So another thing that I will always remember back to Marshall, three months after I started, uh, I told our executive team, look, let's agree that this turnaround is going to be difficult, right? The reason I know it's going to be difficult is everybody thinks we're going to die. So that's how you know, you know? <laughs> and so that means that all of us are going to need to be the best leader we can be, right? It starts with me. So I have this coach, Marshall Goldsmith, he's going to come in and you know what Marshall does, right? So he's going to ask you a question, ask you for feedback. Things were going well, right? But you still want your feedback. And then I'm going to take it uh, and, and get back to you. Uh, and, and so uh, at the time for me, it was really still difficult, excruciating pain to have to tell my team, thank you for all the wonderful feedback. Three things <laughs> have they say to work on, meaning I'm not perfect. Oh, shoot. <laughs> you know? uh, but it's still my decision. These are the three things I've decided to work on. Number one, number two, number three. I'm going to follow up with each of you individually ask you for your, for advice on how I can get better. And in three or four months from now, I'll follow up with you to see how I'm doing. Of course, I got a lot of good advice. It was helpful for me, but it also did another thing. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's show, not tell. It, was, um, uh, it made it clear that it was okay for every leader at Best Buy to not be perfect and to be working on something and to ask for help. And so this notion of vulnerability that people talk about, that was a game changer, right? Because before I was really driven by perfection. In fact, in the book, there is a, an entire chapter on the dangers of trying to be perfect. And I'm still trying to recover and, and you know, to, to get rid of a, a drive for perfection because I was confusing perfection and performance. So that was a, uh, an important milestone. And if you run into uh, everybody, anybody at, uh, at Best Buy today, any executive, you can ask them, what are you working on today? You better tell them, you know, and they're going to tell you, oh, I'm working on these three things. 
you have any advice for me? You know, they're going to be very joyful about it. That's always... <laughs> and then the third moment in, was uh, when we moved from a turnaround to our growth phase. So we moved from renew blue to building the new blue. By the way, if your strategy doesn't have a name, it's really not a strategy. You cannot talk about it. You need a name for your strategy. <laughs> <laughs> then, you know, at, during the, the turnarounds, you know, it was a lot of, it was tight, right? We were trying to save the ship. So the, the controls were pretty tight. You were trying to avoid making mistakes and so forth. In the growth phase, you needed to loosen up. And so I had to learn or pivot my leadership approach from being quite directive to unleashing this human magic and uh, really uh, telling the team, look, there's only four or five decisions I'm responsible for, right? Strategy, who's on the team, culture, big, big, big uh, investment decisions. That's it. The rest you guys, you know, are in charge of. And my role is more to make sure we're structured properly so that uh, you guys can do, it can be the most effective. So it was really the shift to, uh, orchestrating, uh, you know, how change could be uh, could be unleashed. These were some milestones. Yeah. You see my scars on my face, right? There's like everybody has <laughs> many scars on my face. <laughs> there was right. a lot of learnings along the way. I really like the uh, implicit phrase, we're all, and we should be recovering perfectionists. Absolutely. Well, over to you. Yeah, Hubert, I really so appreciate uh, what you've said, and you've packed a wallop, and you and you bring up an image in my head, and that is an image of an orchestra leader who, from one perspective, is directing and telling, but from another is empowering and pulling the music from the orchestra, and you're, you're, the way you pivoted from directing in a time of crisis to empowering is just so, so impressive. Maybe well, it was moving need... from being a symphony to a, ja a, a jazz band. There yeah. you go. <laughs> Improvisational. Yeah. Right. Uber, uh, Mike and you and I have had a broad ranging conversation, and I want to make sure that we do justice to your book. And I'm just going to outline some of the big sections. One is the meaning of work. The second is the purposeful human organization. And the third is unleashing human magic. Before the break, we started to touch on that third part. And I'd like to ask you to talk a little bit about it. You know, for example, you speak about moving past carrots and sticks. Can you say more? Yeah, the, um, it's also my daughter's favorite section in the, <laughs> in the book. So that's what she tells me. And Whatever a daughter tells her father is pretty cool. Right? We pay attention. <laughs> pay attention. I'll, I'll say that. Yes, carrots and sticks. The old formula, right, in, that we learned last century is that, uh, you know, following Bob McNamara's scientific top-down management approach, you take a bunch of smart people, uh, they create a smart strategy, you create a, an implementation <laughs> plan, you communicate it to everybody, you put metrics in place, and you put incentives in place in support of that, and you hope that something good happens. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> you know, let's do a survey on your show. Raise your hands if you're driving, be careful. So mentally, maybe. Yeah. Um, if you like to be told what to do. I'm going to place a huge bet that there's no hand that got raised, right? <laughs> Nobody likes to right. what to do. And there's research that's, uh, that show that actually financial incentives don't drive behaviors. In fact, 
they deteriorate performance. There's an MIT study on this, which is fascinating. And that's the reason for this is that our motivation is intrinsic. It comes from within. And so one of the things I've learned during my years in business and certainly at Best Buy is that we have to completely rethink how we get an organization to do extraordinary things. And it starts with the idea that a company is a human organization made of individuals working together in pursuit of a goal. And understanding what drives the individuals at the company is the essence of this. Now, what is human magic? I think we've all felt it, hopefully, you know, in the circumstances, whether it's in our business life or personal life, when we're full of energy, we have a spring in our step. It's like, uh, to quote Billy Elliot, it's like, yes, electricity going through his body, right? <laughs> we, we felt that. And we're, we feel we're, we can do extraordinary things. And the question is, how do you create this in organization? And so, in fact, in the book, we, so I was born in France, right? So hopefully you'll forgive me if I talk about a recipe with, no, five, with five ingredients, right? So <laughs> we're going to cook. And the five ingredients are what? The first one is what I call connecting dreams, right? And a lot of companies are working on their purpose. And then again, they communicate it and hope that people connect with it. What I've learned is that yes, is good but you also have to start with what drives each individual at the company. And you know, I remember a store, very vividly, a store general manager in Boston, he would ask everyone in his store, about 100 associates, what is your dream? At Best Buy outside of it, what is your dream? Okay, write it down in the break room. My job right. is to help you achieve your dream. And so being curious about what drives people around you, of course, being clear about what drives you, but then being curious about what drives people around you and then connecting it to the work. And most people want to do good things in the world. And you know, in most businesses, it's about serving others. So it's working on that connection. The second ingredient is enabling genuine human connections. You know, I love this quote from the Lebanese poet uh, Khalil Gibran, right? Work is love made visible. <laughs> and <That's> human <laughs> interactions or love, that's the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I remember a, a young associate in one of our stores once told me, his life changed the day a manager recognized him and took an interest in it. <laughs> and again, we have to rethink, because my compatriot, René Descartes of the Cartesian philosophy, long time ago said, I think, therefore <laughs> I am. Right. I think he's wrong. It's I am seen, therefore I am. I am seen, therefore. And if all of us can feel that we belong and that we can be the best, biggest, most beautiful version of ourselves, mm -hmm. oh my God, it changes everything. The third yeah. one is autonomy, having the freedom within the sphere of our responsibilities to come up with the answer and find the best way to serve that customer. Um, it feels scary if you're in top management. What are these crazy people going to do? No, you have to create an environment where people will do great things. And the fourth one is uh, mastery. As human beings, we like to learn, which is one individual at a time. So we developed individualized coaching for every one of the associates, uh, including in the stores. Training is important, but individualized coaching is important. And then it's creating a growth environment, which is because life is about growth. 
uh, and um, creating an environment where you can grow and also make mistakes and forgive yourself and, and forgive uh, others. These are the ingredients. Now it sounds really soft, yeah. but this is for me, what explains the, this delightfully surprising uh, resurgence of Best Buy. And, and when I saw examples of that happening at the, at the company, I really saw the, the, the growth accelerated and I said, okay, so we've yeah. got something. And as leaders, what does that mean? Is yes, we have to work on the strategy, but importantly, we have to engineer the organization, engineers, mm -hmm. not sure it's the right term, but create this environment uh, that can unleash that human magic. And of course, it means that uh, this has vast implications of how we lead, as you can <laughs> yeah. appreciate. Oh, Hubert, I just so appreciate your response yet again. And I'm going to just give a little comment that I know Mike will appreciate. I was once in a faculty meeting and one of my fellow instructors asked, you know, well, with a little bit of frustration, you know, like what do students want? And I said, your attention. <laughs> and so your comment about rethinking Descartes, you know, it's that we want to be seen. They want to be seen. And how about with that note, we're going to send Mike on his way because he has to go teach. <laughs> but you, <laughs> Mike, so, you know, we'll let you say goodbye to Uber. I'll do a little soft break and then Uber and I will do the AAR. <laughs> a word from you, Mike. It's been a privilege to have a conversation with you. I'll just leave a, a going away question. And then as Anne said, I do need to show up at a program I'm teaching. Mm -hmm. uh, my school recommends that faculty appear on time. Mm -hmm. And a, a really important subsequent question built on what you just said, and you alluded to it, is how do you roll that out, this thinking you just expressed to 100,000 people? So you've got it. And then the question is long-term leadership development throughout the enterprise. How do you do it? So I will save that for a subsequent conversation. My privilege to work with you. Thank you very much. And Mike, I hope this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> we'll stay in touch. Thank you. All right. So long. <laughs> All right, so how about just let me remind our listeners that you are listening to Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Channel 132. And I have the privilege of speaking with former Best Buy CEO, and that is Hubert Jolie. I'm talking with him about his book, The Heart of Business. Hubert, Mike did ask a really good and a tough question on his way to teach in a program. You know, you've talked about the five ways to cultivate human magic. And if we even just take one, that human connection, being seen, how do you convey that as a CEO of such a large organization like Best Buy? Yes, and I think it's a, it's a challenge that so many companies today are, are, are wrestling with, right? Because you, 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 you're working on your strategy, on your purpose, and the beauty is when you have everybody at the company that can write themselves into that story. Yeah. And I struggled with that, with our team, right? How do we do this? Because we had this purpose at Best Buy. We said, okay, we're not a consumer electronics retailer. We're a company that's here to enrich lives through technology by addressing key human needs, which is a beautiful purpose. But let's imagine, and you and I, yeah. walk into a Best Buy store and we tell uh, all of the associates back in 2017, 
we have a big announcement now on from going forward. Our purpose is to enrich life through technology by addressing key human needs. The blue shirts, you know, would say, you're saying what? You want me to do what <laughs> at 10 a.m. when I take my shift? You know, it's corporate speech. Yeah. And eventually what we did is this, uh, and I think it will, it, it helps make this come to life. Um, one day in June, I think it was of 2017, we closed the stores, all of the stores for a few hours. And uh, we didn't have glossy presentations or videos, no message from the CEO and anything like this. In all of the stores, we got into small groups of three or four you know, associates. And of course, I was in one of the, of the stores. And we, we spent time on two questions. First is share with each other your life story. Yeah. Okay. So I was paired with a young woman. She had been in an abusive relationship with an ex-boyfriend. She had been homeless. And for her, Best Buy was her home, was really our family. Okay? All of a sudden, I, I know she's an employee, but I now see her as a human being. Right. And you can imagine a lot of crying and tissues yeah. <laughs> and, and whatnot. And then the second thing was, um, you know, talk to each other about somebody in your life who is an inspiring friend for you. Describe what that person does and, and you know, what it feels and so mm -hmm. forth. So for me, it's my older brother, Philip. He's a wonderful <laughs> guy. You know, I just love him. To, you know, he's just fabulous mm -hmm. with me. Um, okay. So, you know, what we're going to try to do is actually something we already do when we are at our best is we're gonna to try to treat each other and the customers as human beings right. and the customers not as walking wallets, but as other human beings. Mm -hmm. And we're gonna to try to be for each other and the customers and inspiring friends. Mm -hmm. It changes everything. And so all of a sudden as an associate, I know what this is about it connects deeply with what, when you ask people around you, what drives you, what gives you energy, it's, it's about the golden rule for most of us, right? It's doing something good to others. Mm -hmm. And if you can connect that with what the work is, then you see human magic uh, happens. And so it was bringing that to life through that training. And then of course you have to make it real. It can't just, right. you know, just be a training. So for example, Cami, uh, head of uh, human resources. One of the things she 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 said, and you know, without telling anybody, she shared with everybody at the uh, at the company that for years she had been struggling with depression, mm -hmm. following the deaths of her two parents. Mm -hmm. You know, many senior executives at major corporations who talk about their mental health issues. I don't. Yeah, right. But it changed mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. She communicated that you know she too was human. And that yeah. we can talk about our vulnerability and, and humanity. Mm -hmm. The other thing she said one day was, uh, uh, you know, in, in retail, we have things like uh, that are called SOP, Standard Operating Procedures. Right. She said, do you know what SOP stands for? She said, it's service over policy. Hmm. I mean, she, all of a sudden, that's, that's a crazy yeah. thing to do for a head Go of ahead. HR, right? Because right. it's about right. being human. Right. And so if, if all of us as leaders can, can actually behave like this, 
Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, you perpetuate it and, and you use, you know, stories. And, and in fact, in our trans in, the, in the meetings of our, you know, transformation uh, efforts, you would ask every one of the, uh, I mean, at least one executive or, or leader at the beginning of the meeting to explain to everybody why this change was meaningful for them in their life. Mm -hmm. It's really connecting, you know, and being really human. So one of our initiatives at Best Buy is to get into the healthcare space, helping aging seniors stay in their home and live in their home longer independently. We put sensors under their bed, in the, the sofa, in the kitchen, in the bathroom, fall detection. I'm talking about frail seniors, maybe, you know, our parents, right? right. And uh, with remote monitoring and care centers, you can detect if something bad is going to happen or is happening, and then have an intervention. So many of us have aging parents, right? Or know somebody, or maybe it's grandparents, depending on our age. Yeah. And so the meaning of our work is not to double the share price. No, <laughs> you know, right, uh, right. it's about making a difference in people's lives and, and connecting that with what's meaningful for us. Mm -hmm. So again, what, I, what, what I've learned and, mm -hmm. and, and uh, you know, to a very large degree learn from my colleagues and I wanted to share for all of us who are travelers on this journey of yeah. wanting to, Eager, we're all eager to abandon the old ways, right? And embrace this idea of leading from a place of purpose and with humanities provides, you know, a set of principles, but importantly, very concrete examples and tools yeah. to uh, help others on that, uh, on that journey. So for example, at the end of each chapter, there's a number of reflective questions. Right, right. Uh, and, uh, and also on my website, I, I think it's, uh, I'm sort of jittery about it. We on, on uberjolie.org, right? So my first name, Good. my last name.org, there is a uh, business electrocardiogram. <laughs> so to assess the health of the heart of your business and help mm -hmm. you pinpoint areas where you may decide that uh, you know these are areas where, of course, you're doing great, but other areas where mm -hmm. you want to put some emphasis. So we have developed a business heart electrocardiogram. How cool is that? <laughs> That's great. Bear, I have some follow-up questions, but let me take this moment to remind listeners, this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 132. I'm Ann Greenhall, and here with the great pleasure of speaking to Hubert Jolie about his new book, The Heart of Business. Hubert, I'm really uh, moved and touched and inspired by your experience and your wisdom and your work. I'm, I'm curious, uh, the lessons that you've learned through your career and your life, the lessons fell on fertile ground. So I'm just curious, what do you think it was uh, in your background or your growing up that made you as receptive as you are? to the notion that, you know, that the heart, the humanity of business is what is fundamental as opposed to profit. I, I think, and it's been a, a, a story of transformation for me as well. Meaning I grew mm -hmm. up as a deeply analytical, heart charging McKinsey consultant you know, very focused on performance optimization. That's that's what uh, you know. I was focused on, let's say, in the in the nineteen eighties. Yeah. Uh, but I was, but I also believe that in the 
You know, the mistake I made for many years is that I had my head cut off from the rest of my body. Right. I think one of the lessons we've all learned during last year yeah. is that as leaders, we need to lead with all of our body parts. Right. Our brain, but also our heart, our souls, our guts, our ears, our eyes. Yeah. And uh, it's over the years that I learned to, uh, you know, the longest journey <laughs> we ever make is the 18 inches from my head, our head to our heart. Yeah. And that's the journey I've been on. And I have to give credit to people who, over the last 30 years, have helped me on that journey. There was, um, you know, a McKinsey client of mine in the early 90s who told me, taught me and told me, you bear the purpose of a company is not to make money. It's an outcome. It's an imperative, but it's an outcome. So right. implication is when you do your monthly business review, <laughs> you know, don't start with financial results. Right. Ends with financial results. Start mm -hmm. with people and organization, then go to customers mm -hmm. and finish with financial performance. I learned some with from two friends of mine who are monks. Who, ah. uh, in the in the 90s, they asked me to write with them a couple of articles on the theology and philosophy of work, right? Which is embedded in the first part of the book, which is why yeah. do we work, right? Is work right. punishment or curse, or is it part of our quest for meaning? Um, and so I've had, in my sense is that uh, from a leadership standpoint, it's, I really believe that, you know, it starts from within. And during mm -hmm. this crisis last year, mm -hmm. you know, I saw so many great examples of leadership where people were decided to slow down. Yeah. And spend time with themselves and said, how do I want to be remembered right. as a leader? Mm -hmm. during this crisis what are the principles that are going to be important one of the things you know when i coach or mentor ceos or, or executives that I encourage them to do is write your retirement speech or even better write your eulogy how do you <laughs> yes. want to be remembered right, right. Uh, and then it's a remember and, and that's the last thing i'll say is remember when we were flying around on airplanes a long time ago <laughs> <laughs> yes we were told if the oxygen mask come down Put it on yourself first before you can help others. Mm -hmm. And let's agree that, you know, this crisis, multifaceted crisis, these changing times we are in are very challenging for all of us as individuals. And in finding ways to take care of ourselves, you know, especially if we're leading others, um, you know, you can't lead others if you cannot lead yourself. So mm -hmm. spend time, I don't care what it is, right? So it's, it's going to be what it what works for you, right? Whether it's physical mm -hmm. exercise, meditation, journaling, mm -hmm. uh, what you know, in Minneapolis, walk around the lake. We have many lakes in Minnesota. Uh, <laughs> your personal board of director, your spiritual director, but spend time with yourself and be reflective and don't forget to be kind to yourself, right? Mm -hmm. You're doing your best. Uh, you're not gonna, you know, not everything is gonna be perfect. It's okay. Because there's always tomorrow. You can always do better tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, and so these, you know, are things that, uh, I, to your question, I learned over the years from others who inspired me. Yeah. And if there's, there's a mistake I made during my uh, journey so far is, uh, you know, taking too much time to learn some of these lessons. <laughs> That's why I'm eager to, to spread what I've learned now, you know? Yes. Oh. Well, Bear, we're coming around the bend and getting close to our um, after action review. 
What you've said so far really reminds me of much, uh, much of what Mike and Jeff and I often talk about. And that is when we think about leadership development, we really would like our students to take stretch experiences, go a little bit out of their comfort zone, not so far that they're going to um, fail, but that they need to really stretch and reach. We also talk about surrounding themselves with people who can complement them and coach them and give them feedback. And you've so touched on that. In the giving of feedback, in fact, giving feedback is one thing, you know, to be straightforward and direct and timely, but there's the receiving of feedback. And as Sheila Heen says so well, hearing the coaching in the criticism, so being receptive to the feedback. And then, you know, we also have to be just good students of leadership. And if Mike were here, I know he would speak about not only being a student in the classroom, but being a student of life and understanding that whether you are in the, you know, in the C-suite or at the top of the organization or the bottom, you have opportunity to learn. So I'm, I'm going to ask you, when you think back on our talk today, what really stands out and what would you like our listeners to take with them? Maybe the key takeaway, I think, for all of us goes back to this discussion of uh, status quo is not a great option. The, we have, and it took me time personally to quote unquote, make peace with the fact that the world we're in, you know, is not working. It's the, it's the first step in the 12 steps that I did in the <laughs> A program. Uh, you know, there's, uh, there's pain in the world uh, and we have a few ticking time bombs. I don't want to be dramatic, but it's it's the truth. Right. And so uh, the good here's the good news, right? As leaders, and again, all of us are leaders because minimum we're leaders of our lives. Mm -hmm. We get to create a future that does not exist yet, but that certainly needs to be more sustainable than what we have today. Right. And I'm very optimistic when I spend time with other leaders or with my own students at uh, HBS yeah. uh, to see a desire to do good things in the world and have a positive impact. And so I think it's a, it's, it's a calling for all of us to decide what positive difference we want to make in the world. What's, what's the meaning of our life, right? What difference right. do we want to make? And it does, it can be both big and small. I always like to start small. So for me, my mm -hmm. first part of my purpose is try to make a positive difference on people around me, yeah. right? Because that's and that's where it starts. But then also use the platform I have to make a positive yeah. difference in the world. And so be clear about yeah. what drives you and what's your purpose. And then, you know, join with others in that journey. Be vulnerable. Yeah. Ask for help. Uh, I think that's, yeah. that's an exciting time if we can if we can amplify this movement. Oh, Hubert, that's wonderful. And I'm going to jump in just because we're so close to time. It's been a pleasure, a joy, and a delight to have the opportunity to speak with you. Hubert Jolie, author of the new book, The Heart of Business, Leadership Principles for the Next Era of Capitalism. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to our guest. And thank you to Patty Hall, our producer, our sound engineer, Chris Tooks. I'm Ann Greenhall. You've been listening to Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. 
Sirius XM Channel 132. Join us again. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 